So we're going to go ahead and get started. It's really good to see you. And we're going to talk today a little more about a theme that we've talked about in the past. Um, We're going to talk about discipleship. Discipleship. Now, in our study, uh, we've been studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. That means we've been going through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we've been studying the earthly ministry of Jesus. And, And so... Um, often one of the pictures that we see in Jesus' ministry is his discipling, his disciples or his discipleship. And, and he would teach them as they walked down the road. He would use uh, the things around him to help to explain the kingdom of God. And, uh, <clears throat> and so they would always be on the road. They would always be going around. He would be performing miracles. He would be teaching the masses. And the disciples were always there following him and listening and chasing are uh, following after him and asking questions and learning more about the kingdom of God. So before we get deeper into the, the text that we're going to study today, let's answer a couple of quick questions. Um, we talk about this a lot. I want to make sure that if nothing else, y'all hear this um, as we learn about the life of Christ. What actually is the kingdom? What do we say that the kingdom is? It's the It's God's children. And God is the king. Jesus is the king. Okay. Right. A kingdom is the king's what? Domain. Domain. Right. So it's everything that he rules and reigns over. And right now, Jesus, where is Jesus right this very second? Heaven. He's in heaven. What is he doing? Watching over uh, us. He's watching over us. He's interceding for us as our high priest, and he's also our king. And he's in control of everything that happens in the world around you. Right. Remember what did uh, his father say? Sit down and I will make your enemies my footstool. And so what we see and happening around us in the world today, all of the, the current events and all of the craziness going on, it's not like Jesus is up in heaven pulling his hair going, what am I going to do with these people? He's allowing the, the ravings and the strivings of men uh, to accomplish his will. I want to look really quick at a passage. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2, we'll start at verse 1. It says, Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and let us cast away their cord from us. But he who what? Sits in heaven, laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Mount Zion, my holy mountain. All right. And so it says that the world around us is raging and angry and striving against God and fighting against God and doing all of these terrible things. And what does it say that God is doing? Number one, he's sitting. And he's laughing, right? He's scoffing. He's making fun of the people who, in their vanity and their empty thoughts, are thinking that they're actually opposing God. When in reality, even the wicked things that men do, actually God uses for good. And so we can rest in that fact that we have a king who is sitting on his throne. And so what's really cool about this, this was written before Jesus 
actually came to the earth and died, didn't it? It was his oh, great yes. it was his great granddaddy uh David who wrote this. And so <clears throat> why is that so significant? Because the plans and the purposes and the will and the decree of God have been established from before the foundation of the world and they are going to be carried out. And so he could speak in this way uh that Jesus has always been king of kings and always been lord of lords and he came to the earth and he showed us what a real king does and what does a real king do he he protects his people he watches over his people he rules and reigns with justice and mercy and and that is what Jesus has done and so um the kingdom of God is always present with us and in us if you are a believer then that means that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And not only are you a citizen of the kingdom of God, but we are also still citizens of the kingdom of this earth, right? Most of us in this room are citizens of the city of Savannah, uh, the state of Georgia, living in the United States of America. And so we have people and authorities that we have to answer to, right? We have a culture that we live in. We have rules and laws and and uh, cultural norms that we live by and that's a part of us being in this kingdom this earthly kingdom but in the same way that we're living in this earthly kingdom we're also members of the heavenly kingdom the kingdom of heaven is present now with us it's now but it's also not yet what do i mean when i say that the kingdom of god is now but it's yet it's not yet because we we haven't we don't have our resurrected bodies and good there's still work to be done good so there is an, a narrative that has been taking place throughout history that narrative is is that as Adam fell God in His mercy and grace reached down and saved Adam and as we read the Bible as we study the Word of God we come to the realization that one day we will be reunited uh, with God as a people. We will be reunited in a world that has no sin, no pain, no suffering, no sorrow. We will be reunited with what God intended for us to begin with. And so think about that. So you're seeing that play out before you today. Now, in the same way that we read Psalm 2 and realize that the psalmist was writing in the present tense that Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven, it had not yet taken place on the earthly uh, stage, if you will. Right. But it was as good as done. So it was now. But he was still there. But it was not yet. Now that that has been fulfilled, then we still have uh, more fulfillment of the narrative, more fulfillment of what God has planned for his people, and it's being played out before our very eyes today. And so as Jesus was walking along with his disciples he was teaching them about the kingdom. And one of the things that you will constantly notice about Jesus and his teaching his disciples was that there was always conflict in the disciples' minds and hearts trying to grasp the realities of the kingdom of God while still living in the kingdom of men or the, this earth. Right? And Jesus would sometimes talk about physical things to relay spiritual messages to us. Remember how we talked about he used parabolic teachings? And sometimes it made sense to the disciples and sometimes it didn't. And and so we have to realize that 
we grow in our knowledge of who God is and what his kingdom is about as we study his word and as we walk through this life. And so what is supposed to happen for the disciple? The disciple is supposed to be under the discipline of the master. And as we grow and as we learn and as we gain knowledge, as the spirit of God conforms us to the image of Christ, we should become more and more Christ-like. We should be more and more letting go of the kingdom of this world and more and more grasping the kingdom of heaven. And is that an easy thing to do? No. No. It certainly is. So let me define it. Uh, some, it becomes easier. Uh, it, it should. It does. It should. So uh, the second, uh, so we talked about the kingdom of God. Now we need to also define what does it mean to be a disciple. We've talked about this in the past. What is the, the what word do we form from the word disciple? What do you get when you go to the principal's office? Discipline. Discipline. So a disciple is one who is under the teaching or the discipline of a teacher, right? And so all of us as Jesus' disciples are under his discipline. One of the promises in Psalm 23 is that his rod and his staff will what? Your rod and your staff will comfort me, right? So the discipline of the master should be a comfort to us because in Hebrews, what is what is the writer of Hebrews, Paul, I think it is, what does he what does he say? He says that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. There it's, is a comfort in it because it gives us direction. We know right from wrong. That's comforting. There's no question of we should be following God. There's no question who's the authority. Good. And that is comforting because when we're out there flailing on our own, there's no comfort there. That's exactly right. Now, let's use the example of our past and our our present to help us and use it as kind of a parable to reflect the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. So most of us uh, here have struggled with addictions uh, or uh, chemical dependence in our life. And uh, most of us have turned from sin and self. We've turned from those addictions and turned to the freedom that we have found in Christ. And Christ has set us free from our addictions. But is every day now that we have turned away from that, is it easy to walk in that life? Are there not tendencies in our lives to think back to the good times, to the to the excitement, to the fun, if you will, to the the attraction of the worldly things that we once enjoyed? Is there not sometimes a, is that something that we battle with in our lives? I don't battle with it much anymore, but I sure did. Yeah. But but looking back now, I wouldn't give up my life now for anything. Amen. It's wonderful. Amen. But we do realize that there is going to be a constant struggle oh, yeah. between the, us. The stress. The stress I was talking about earlier. I'm always stressed. Between us walking and trusting in the master or walking and trusting in the world. And because we live in this world, we're going to have those struggles. It's going to I be something. I get stressed out because I want to make sure that I'm doing everything that I need to get accomplished. I want to do it good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And I don't... I, there's just so much on my plate. Every day has so much to deal with. Right. Almost every day. Right. So, do you so not I, see? Do you I, not see, Lori, though, that um, 
um, most of us in this room are the same way. And right. we, and we so like I to control things. There. We like to control things. We like to be uh, in charge. We like to uh, we like to help people. We like to do all of these things. And so uh, we get overwhelmed. And so our, our so, actual... But don't you believe that God puts things in your path, like having to help Don and his predicament? And, and wanting to help folks and doing my job well and all of the and my mother and my husband all of these different things and for everybody the same thing different stuff same day but all of these things that don't I feel like God has put them in my path because he knows that I can handle the load that he gives me right but sometimes well, I feel like there's no way I'm going to be able to accomplish all of this. Well, there's no doubt that God uses providence. That's the thing that happens fall out in our lives as a way to grow us closer to him. Um, God also uses some of those things as a way to discipline us. Um, sometimes, so I've heard people say it like this, God will not give you more than you can handle. Well, that's a lie. Say that. That's a lie. Because sometimes he will give you things that are more than you can handle. Why would God want so to... So you can turn to him for And stop help. trusting in you, right? And so one of the things that I heard Lori just say, and I'm not accusing her or pointing a finger at her because I do the same thing. I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. And the stress comes in what? The what stress I comes have because I think that God put these things on my plate and I need to accomplish them accordingly. And sometimes I can't do everything right. on that day that I should have accomplished. So the stress comes not in the, just in the doing, because the doing is hard. I don't want to disappoint God or the people around me right. so bad. Right. And so, the, but the reality is, as his disciple, he's going to give you things that are going to cause you, he's going to give you things that are going to cause you to stumble, like to to. To learn to not rely on yourself, right. I'm he's going to at give the you things around me to, that I don't want to disappoint, and I should be looking at him. Right, right. or the he's fact he's going to forgive me if I do make a mistake because he's forgiven my past, present, and future sins. Right, but we. So one of the things that we as human beings tend to do is we depend to put. Uh, we we do a lot of things. And we can actually deceive ourselves into thinking we're doing it for the glory of God right. when we're doing it for our glory. Like, like deep down inside of us, there's still that old fallen part of me that wants sure. to say, look what I did. Yeah. You see? And so I think that the stress that we deal with in our lives is coming in that constant battle to live between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Like, there, that's where that struggle comes from. Because if we're resting in his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we can do our work knowing that it's going to accomplish what he wants done. There's also the fear of falling falling back into the habits I had with addiction. Yes, you know? yes, very and much so. There's a big fear of if I don't be responsible and, you know, keep on this path and try my best to do it, There, there's a real fear. Right. So the the Bible says what? The that perfect love casts out fear. Mm-hmm. That if I'm trusting in God and it's God who has accomplished right. His will in my it's life, all, then it's, it's not going to fail. That fear is there. Right. I get that. Right. If 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 I'm trusting God and it's God's will for me to stay sober, then I'll stay sober. Why? Because His will is always going to be done. But the moment that I start depending on my will. I'm depending on the very thing that broke me to begin with. Right. My choices, my desires That's were what caused point. me to fall. I don't want to depend on the thing that broke me to begin with. Right. That's a very good right. point. And so, <clears throat> do you see, 
I, and I'm speaking, I'm not preaching at you, Lord, I'm preaching at me because I do the same thing. Um, I can transfer that self-control from addict or that from the drugs and the things that the life that I used to live into my ministry and what I'm doing. Like that becomes my drug now. I become high off of what I'm doing. Getting things accomplished. Getting things accomplished and being able to check boxes and say, look, yes. right, right. And so what happens is in our sobriety, we can humbly fall in tears before God and say, look what you have done. But in our work and in our daily efforts, a lot of times it's not falling humbly before God and saying, look, what I look what you have done is, oh, God, give me strength so that I can. Right. And I do that every morning. I ask right. to be able to accomplish the thing that has been set before me today. Right. And I help me. Right. And he will, won't he? He, he will, will help me, but I'm still saying help me get it done. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, again, the stress comes in the same things that we see his disciples. They're conflicted, aren't they? They're trying to grasp the things of the eternal kingdom of God through their understanding of this temporal world. And there's always going to be a gap there. There's always going to be misconceptions and misunderstandings because the kingdom of God is established and this world that we live in is for the turmoil. The kingdom of God is is eternal. The, the, this world is temporary. But our constant default position is to not rely on the kingdom of God and the king who sits on the throne, but to constantly fall back and rely on the world that we live in and the temporary circumstance of our lives. That's exactly right, because we can see it, we can smell it, we can taste it, we can hear it, we can touch it. And so we have to step in faith out of this world into the kingdom of God. And it's God who helps us do that. It's through this. So what are the things that Jesus taught his disciples to do in order to grasp the kingdom of heaven and to walk in the, in the as, as good disciples? What were some of the things that he commanded them to do? What, what would you think God wants you to do as his disciple? And spread the good news. Spread okay. The gospel. Spread the gospel. That's Tell one of the commands. Okay. Good. And we spread that through our our daily conversation, our walk, the way we live our mm-hmm. lives, and we spread that through the preaching of God's word. Right. Sometimes we don't have to say anything. We just okay. act like we should because we're a child of God. Right. Which is very hard to do. But it's always through His word that the gospel yes. message is spread, and so we need to to uh, use God's word as a way to. To exhort, rebuke, uh, encourage others. So that's one of the things. Yes, that's one of them. What's something else that we're supposed to do today? Um, what about this? If you love me, finish that sentence for me. What did Jesus say? If you love me, obey my commandments. Oh, Remember what he said? Yeah. He told his disciples. Yeah. If you love me, obey me. And so one of the greatest, well, the greatest expressions of our knowing God and loving him is our willingness to obey obey him. Right? And so that's another thing that we struggle with every day, is it not? Obeying him, sharing the gospel. We struggle with that. What's something else that we're supposed to do as his disciple? How do I talk to God? Prayer. Prayer. All right. And how... How often do we pray? How often does Paul tell us we should pray? Pray Constantly. without, pray without, without ceasing. ceasing. Yep. That's exactly right. Now, that, 
Think about that. It means that even in our daily walk, we're supposed to walk in an attitude and a mm-hmm. spirit of prayer to God. That realizing that he is with me, he is ever before me, he is my shield, he is my God, he is my protector, he is my comforter, and that I can talk to him at all times of the day. So all of those things are things that I should do as his disciple, as someone who is a member of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Like walking love is one part, because love is the greatest commandment of all. Good. And all of these things we struggle with. <laughs> so now that we've established all of that, let's go ahead and look at our text for today. <clears throat> Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Yep. Now we've been in that in our recovery and Sunday. And Okay, well, we're not going to be in it long because we're only going to read, read one passage and then we're going to Luke. Pretty okay. awesome. But look in Matthew chapter 8. Got to get there. Oh, I'm here. And we're going to look at verse chapter 8, verses 19 oh. through 22. All right? Verses 19 through 22. Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 22. Okay, this is a little different. It says, Then a scribe, a scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me to first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. I never quite understood that. Okay. All right. Now let's turn over. We That's that's one of, it, we're, remember we're reading a harmony of the gospel. So now we're going to go to Luke's account of what Jesus said and look at that. So turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And today our focus will mainly be on verses 57 through 62. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 57 through 62. Y'all got it? All right. It says, as they were going along on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye uh, to those at my home. Uh, But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay? So, we see Jesus. He's going to speak to three different people. And three different people are going to have a reply to him. And Jesus is going to have a reply back to those three. I don't people. understand that either. Okay, well we're going to we're going to talk about it. Hopefully that's the point of our Bible study <laughs> is that we can get some understanding from it. I'm sure before we get done, you're going to read your study note down at the bottom, and I it's going to help. Looked there yet. Right, and it's going to help you. All right. So, first thing we want to look at is in verse 57. It says, "As they were going along on the road." As they were going along on the road. Now, how often, as you've read through the gospel messages, has the lessons that Jesus has been teaching his disciples 
come when they were walking down the road. It happens on the way. Well, how often is that? A lot. A lot. Remember he taught them about they were crushing the grain in the cornfield and eating, and the mm-hmm. Pharisees saw them break, sifting the grain on the Sabbath, said they were breaking the Sabbath, and Jesus used that as an opportunity to teach them that what? That the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Well, I, I, I used that the yeah, other day I, with somebody. Yeah, that was because you were skipping church. And you felt I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah. So, what, about, what is the point I'm bringing up? As we walk in this temporary kingdom of this world, there are going to be plenty of opportunities for Jesus to teach us the things that we need to know about this world and the world to come. That's a part of discipleship. We have to be on the road. That means on the right path. And we have to be following and walking with Jesus. In order to get these lessons, we have to be with him. And what is the greatest way for me and you to be walking with Jesus? In his word. That's exactly right. In his word. Okay? Now, remember that what we're talking about today is Jesus teaching us the costs, what have S, costs of being a disciple. What do I mean to say when I say the costs? Of being a disciple. I guess like what you are going to lose or give up. Yeah. It's going to cost you something to be yeah. his disciple. Right? I mean, because just like he said about with the funeral. You know, he was he was wanting to go to the funeral of his loved one. But see, that was one of the, like that's kind of like the price you pay, I guess, is the way, you, you know, he didn't get to go because he said to follow him. Well, we don't we don't know if he and went. he's not considered dead. He's considered alive in Christ because he's following him. But you see, yeah, that's very good. All right, so they're on the road, and someone said to him, "I will follow you wherever you go." All but right. he had to leave his family behind, is what I was trying to say mm-hmm. to follow him. So he says, "I will follow you wherever you go." So what is this man doing? This man is making a profession of faith, isn't he? Yeah. What is he saying? I'll follow you. In other words, has no idea what the journey is going to bring. He's just going to follow him. I will follow you. But it's this faith without he works is dead. Yeah. I, there's an old song we used to sing in church. I have decided to follow Jesus. Yeah. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Right. But it says faith without works is dead, and that's what I was saying about. Well, he's alive by following him. You know, and he considered him dead by going back and burying the dead. Could be. That could be. That's a very good point. I, I, I had another thought about burying. Let the dead bury their own. Is that the unsaved to bury the unsaved that he was going well, back no, to no, bury? Well, no, no. Jesus talks about the dead and the because see it says the dead and or the live in Christ. Anyway, I can't remember which one, but he talks about the dead in Christ and the live in Christ. One's going to rise before the other. I think it's the the dead that's alive. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Okay. All right. So when Jesus comes back on the last day, on Judgment Day, on the last day, mm-hmm. and he calls everybody up. Mm-hmm. Everybody's coming out of the grave, and so the so we're sta- if if he comes back today, you and yeah. I are standing here alive on this earth, and are we in Christ? Yes. And the ones that are in the grave that have already died, that died as believers, uh, the regenerated children of God, are they in Christ too? Mm-hmm. All right. So who's going to rise first? The, the one that are in the grave, and then they come to join us, and then we all go to be with him. And again. everybody's going to see it. That's what it, yeah. That's what it means to be alive in Christ. But remember that even the dead who didn't believe, those who died. They're going to be raised too, aren't they? 
Because of Judgment Day. No, yeah, I didn't judgment. think about that. No, because mm. it's going to be Judgment Day. All right. So, he makes a public profession of faith. And we're all very good at doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we can leave our Bibles on the front seat of our car and all of our neighbors know that we go to church every Sunday. We do all kind of things to show that we are believers, right? And some of those things are good and some of those things are kind of uh, us being proud and boisterous. We wear a t-shirt sometimes to draw attention to ourselves, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, well, I don't do that and I don't do this. You know? And so... Um, he says, I will follow you. And so Jesus is going to say, okay, you want to follow me, it's going to cost you. Discipleship costs. If you know anybody, the Olympics are on right now. If you know anything about these Olympic athletes, I hadn't watched a single bit of it this year. Yeah. But if you know anything about Olympic athletes, so those little gymnasts, most of them are 16 to 20 years old. And how long have they been in a gym flipping around? Ever since they were born. Yeah, like eight hours a day for, like, so there was discipleship and pain and and hardship involved. They had to give up a lot. They they didn't get to have normal lives at school with other kids because they had to get their, their studies from tutors yeah you see so there was a cost to them they it, it, a lot with these gold medals a lot of times it costs these athletes their childhood doesn't it? oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know I've, I've seen videos as young as two weeks old the woman had her had her child in the swimming pool two weeks old so what i'm saying is they didn't even have the nice comfortable warm life you know like most babies have you know come home gets a hold of me you know <clears> all that so when you think about it two weeks old you're in the swimming pool and he had a <laughs> ring around his neck swimming <laughs> yeah. that's crazy it is <laughs> so i still don't understand a little bit because to honor your family like honor your mother and your father is in the law okay yeah. and not to be able to go bury his father we're going to talk about it. No, so, I'm, not, I'm not quite getting that. Jesus said to him, okay, so the first thing, the first guy he replied to who said, I will follow you. This is what Jesus said. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. Now, so what does a fox use a hole for? For a home. Shelter. Okay, they have shelter. And what does a bird use a nest for? To raise his family. Yeah. Okay. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, who is the Son of Man? We know from the book of Ezekiel that... that uh, uh, and the book of Daniel that the Son of Man will be coming on the clouds. So Jesus refers to him often as the Son of Man. And it is, a, it is a reference to the Old Testament prophecies that the Son of Man would be the Messiah, the one who comes. Right? And so what he's saying is the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. What does that mean? The Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. He doesn't have a home. Okay. That they're going to be giving up that. Why comfort. does Jesus not have a home? Yet his home is in heaven. Okay. He doesn't need a home. He's traveling to spread the gospel, to tell about his Father in heaven and the heavenly okay, so, body. Well, what about us? We have homes. Like, like I mean, where we rent a place or we stay somewhere. Like, we have somewhere yeah. to rest yeah. at night. We, we have somewhere to get that. out the cold. Yeah. And so what is it that you have to do in order to have that home? Work. Yeah. And now is there anything in the world wrong with work? No. No, it's commanded of us to work hard, right? Yeah. All right. But what is the, the point that Jesus is trying to make? Jesus didn't work for an earthly home. Jesus worked for the eternal kingdom. Mm -hmm. So what he's showing us is that the eternal kingdom and the things of eternity and the things of the kingdom of God are way more important because they're eternal than the things of this world. And so based upon your heart's desire to live in whichever world it is you live in, your life's going to reflect that. 
And how much was Jesus concerned with this world? Hardly, not at all. Well, I mean, he, he loved us of, and he came to live in it. No, but he was concerned about the people, but for as far as where the world was headed. But he, you know, but he didn't knows. spend his life as a carpenter's son making carpentry so that he could put a roof over his head. No. That wasn't important to him. And so what has to happen is we all, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, we have to count the cost. A lot of times, most times, if you are a child of God and you live in the kingdom of God, you're not going to have the things that the people of this world have. No. And they're, most of the time, they're not going to be important Coming to you. From, from addiction and off the streets, my house is a palace. To me, it's a little tiny house, but maybe that's why I, I, God put me through that. I appreciate I mean, I, I don't look to have a Ferrari. Good. I don't look to have but think man, about this, Lori. So let's let's use this comparison though. Think about this. What were you willing to do to get high? Anything. You were willing to not even have a house. Sure, I lost everything. I gave up everything. Why? Because I wanted to get high that bad. It was okay. Good. And so let's draw a comparison to that with the kingdom of God. The things of the eternal kingdom were so important to Jesus that He was willing to do what? Anything. Give up everything else. Nothing else mattered but that. That was his focus. See? But he knew of the kingdom of heaven, too. So the addict has completely forsaken God. Completely. And is completely in indulged family. in the, the and his family. Would he, how many how many addicts you know would miss a funeral or miss a wedding? Yep. Yeah. Or you see? All right. Our drug took us. We would hide from our families because we wanted to get high. So we lost time with our families. We lost holidays with our families. We lost funerals. We lost weddings. Good. We lost birthdays good. because we were hiding from them. So we lost time. All right. Good. Now, what we need to do is we need to apply that concept to this text and to our present lives. How much time do I lose in the Word of God by being oh on Facebook? By being on Facebook. That's like a punch in the gut right there. Right? Whole bunches. How much time in prayer? Just, just by doing other stuff. How much time do I lose in prayer? The news. <laughs> by playing with my cat. Yeah, my kitty. <laughs> How much time walking in fellowship with God do I lose? By walking in this world. You see? And that's what he's trying yeah, to teach us here. He's God. trying to teach us that there is a cost to being his disciple. And we, as fallen human beings... Trying to have it both. We want to have both. We want to live in both worlds. Yep. And a man and a house divided cannot stand. One's going to fall. Right. You see? All right. So, Jesus said, the foxes have holes. So, the next thing... So, he said to another... So, now Jesus turns to somebody and he says, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me to first go and bury my father. Now, is that a legitimate thing to do? Would Jesus ever tell someone to not honor their mother and father? No. Is burying your father a way to honor them? Yes. yes so, all right. Of so, <clears throat> but he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. All right. So he would never tell someone not to go and bury their father. But what he's doing is he's using this 
shocking statement is a way to help us to grasp the shocking difference between this world and the next. So, think about a funeral and what we do to prepare for a funeral and think about how much time and effort we put into it and think about how important they are to us. Think about all of the times that you go out to the graveyard after your family is dead and put roses on the grave. Now, do you think your your loved ones even cares that you're putting flowers on a grave? No. No. They're in the restored and wonderful eternal kingdom of God. There. And do you think that some little wilting flowers that you go and put on a grave is going to no, impress that, them or make the them happy? No, that's actually for yourself. That's exactly right. Good. And so what we're seeing with this guy is, is that he's more concerned about himself than he is about mm-hmm. doing the things of God. Right, so I, I don't think that Jesus is using this as an. But I, I just when I hear that, I, I see the guy laying there dead and nobody to bury him, and that's good. not. And good. so, what did he mean when he said, "Let the dead bury their dead"? That's, and that's you've exactly already uh, you've already alluded to that when the dead in Christ shall rise. So there's physical death and there's spiritual death. Mm-hmm. And so, think about the impact that the death of a loved one has on a person's mind and psyche. A lot. Uh, my next door neighbor, um, her husband died last year, and she is grieving, uh, and uh, rightly so. But she's having the inability to know where she is at times. She's not even driving now because she went out and tried to drive and got lost, like didn't know where she was going. Like it has completely affected her, her whole life. Like this, the man that she loved, that she lived with for 40, 50 years, is gone, and so. Half of her life has like just been snatched away from her, and she's walking around staggering at, at the reality of this. Right? So there's nothing in the world wrong with grieving, but there is something when you let it take your life like that. Could be, but think about this: Do the things of the kingdom of God affect us in the same way that losing a loved one? Sure. It should. And it should be just as important to us yeah. to seek after those things. Yeah, because um, from 10 years ago and to now, <clears throat> when I talk about, you know, leaving stuff for my kids or when I leave, it's not I'm going to die and be gone. It's when I leave. It's when I go to God. It's in, The thought of death for me is totally different now. It's just moving on to where I'm supposed to be. So... One of the points he's making is that the eternal things of God should be way more important to us than even the, tem- the even things like death and weddings and burials and and family matters. Like it should be that important. Yeah, but it should have. We shouldn't. I don't think we should take that literal and just walk away from from burying your father. Let the dead bury the dead. So what is he it's saying? He's not, saying that it's not that he didn't have any, anybody to bury him. It's because he did have other. But that's what I'm Jesus sure, was saying. But, just let the other ones bury him. Well, you know? you know what he's saying is this: Let the dead, the spiritually dead, the ones that have no concept that's, of the that's eternal, where I'm let the dead. In, in other words, so unsaved. Those are the kind of things that they're going to cling to. Let them have it. Okay. That's the stuff that's important to them. Let them go at it because it's not going to give them anything but emptiness and futility. You see, Mm -hmm. and so think about how affected people are when they lose a loved one and they have to go and bury them. And they go and they spend thousands and thousands of dollars buying fancy uh, 
caskets yeah, and yeah. You, you, you see what yeah you, you understand so that so there's there the death of a loved one and the burial is definitely something that impacts the life of us in this temporary world that we live in but to those of us who are spiritual out Lord, you just said it i'm going on to be with the lord like there's yeah, no reason there's no reason yeah, for you to bring all of this all of this of extra baggage into this because it's just it's I'm going to be with the Lord right. like I've got I've, I've got an inter, I've got an eternal view that. I don't need this big production Good. all right so that's what he's saying is the things of the kingdom of God need to be so important to us that the things of this temporary world even the things that are most valuable in this world right. like a home or our family or our loved ones are simply secondary Think about his own brothers laughing at him and scoffing him and making fun of him and not believing him. Like his own family. His mom thought he had gone crazy. He was in a house teaching and his mom and his brothers came to get him and drag him back home because they thought he had lost his mind. Now, who was that? Jesus. Oh, okay. His mother and his brothers came to the house where he was there teaching and they were outside and they said, they want to see you. And he said... Uh, who is my mother and my father? These that are doing the will of my father are my brothers and sisters. And, and so what he was saying is, did he love Mary? Yes, even at the cross. Like, what did he say? This is, behold your mother, John, and John, behold your son. Like, he, his mother was important enough to him that he gave her into the protection of John after he died. Right. But his love for his mother and his family did not interrupt or, or heed the walk that his father had put before him. And that's what he's saying there. Our walk in Christ, our walk on the road to the kingdom, has to be the most important thing. If we are truly his disciple, then the temporary things of this world are going to have a secondary place in our lives. Now, is it something we're going to struggle with? Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And you want to do all yes, this yes, yes. at the same time, and that's right. what causes so, conflict. So, do you understand <laughs> why we could call this lesson the cost of discipleship? Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know if you know. We got one more to do, and then we'll, we'll call it. I know you want to leave early because you want to go. We're not going to get out of here early. <laughs> but but I, I want before we do this last one, I want you to think about something. I don't know if you know this about pastors, but you're pastor. Um, being a pastor is one of the most lonely things there is in the world. Everybody comes to you with their problems. And who do they get to go to? And they don't go to anyone. You see? Um, there is oftentimes pastors are put on a pedestal when in reality they know that they are the most sinful people in the whole building. I have a and, and, pe- and people are looking up at them and expecting them to be these perfect saints when in reality they're us. like everybody else. Right? Do you think pastors have a hard time sometimes doing their studies? Right? You you don't think that, just like Lori, before our Bible study, you don't think that their sons are calling them and saying, hey, I want to talk to you. I just got my tax return. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, like little. Yeah, there's so, so what's happening? still happening. So not just a, a pastor, but any disciple God is going to be constantly inundated with the things of this world. And there's going to be this inner struggle with me to decide what's most important. And unfortunately, oftentimes it's the temporary things of this world that that get the precedence in my life. 
And that's what he's saying. As his disciple, you're going to have to learn to turn aside from these things. That Those are going to have to be the secondary things. Even if it means your family and your loved ones. Now, would he ever say to honor your parents? No. But sometimes getting in the middle of a family squabbling and arguing about your little brother or your cousin or somebody who's off acting stupid is something that is so secondary that you just don't even need to be involved with. That's why we live but in we get we, we, we get <laughs> but we get neck deep up in that stuff, don't we? Sometimes. Yeah. And what does it do? It takes away from our prayer life. It takes away because it affects like, like it affects other people in your family. They're doing the right thing. You got these other people yep. doing the wrong, yep. and it, it angers you. And it it affects your prayer life. Sure. It affects your uh, yeah, you your time to study the word. It affects your going to church. It affects your uh, all of the things that. It affects your loving him and be obe- being obedient to him. And so what he's telling these people is, your obedience and walk with me is more important than anything in this world. And we don't count that cost often enough. All right, last thing, and then we're done. Another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say the goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, if you grew up in a farmer, we were talking about the Amish earlier. If you grew up in a farmer community and you ever know what a plow, what does it mean to push a plow? What are you doing with a plow? You're making your rows to plant. You're making your rows to plant. And what happens if you turn around and look back behind you? You get a crooked row. You get a crooked row. That's exactly right. And so as God's children, we are on a straight path, are we not? He's put us on that straight path. And the more we turn and, we and turn look and around look and look at our life, friends yeah. and what they're doing and look behind us at our old life and what we used to do, what's going to happen? Not only that, what is it showing us about our heart? It could also affect people that are looking up to you because you're yeah, you a child run them, of God. Yeah, you, you could, could run, run them, them over with a plow. Yeah, you could run yeah. them off into the guardrail. Run them off of their, <laughs> run them off of their straight path. Right. <laughs> That's a very good point. All right. But what does he what does he mean by that? Well, you remember the the second the the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept, right? Mm-hmm. What is the second shortest verse in the Bible? Do you know? Remember Lot's wife. wife. That's the second shortest verse in the Bible. It's three words. Remember Lot's wife. Now, what did you what what happened to Lot's wife? She looked back what, at what, her what, old life and that she felt sorry for the people that was burning. So she turned around and she looked back. She, no, she she missed that life. Looking back at she she, she loved that world behind. she was leaving behind. And so by turning around, what what was she what was turning around expressing? It was expressing the true nature of her heart. And what was the true nature of her heart? That back there. That back there. And that is something that we all have to battle every day, because the natural man is going to constantly want to go back. The constant, the, the natural man is going to constantly want to look around and see what my friends are doing. The natural man is going to constantly look at the news and see what the world around him is doing. Yeah, I do. I'm guilty right? of that. I do the same thing. The natural man is going to constantly worry about what his neighbor thinks and what his family thinks and what happened yesterday and what. And they're constantly looking around instead of putting their nose to the plow and doing what God has called them to do, which is to be a disciple. And what did he say? If you love me obey me and one of the greatest expressions of the fact that we are disciples are when we count the cost and realize what we're having to give up and we're willing to walk away from those things for the eternal kingdom amen all right let's close with prayer father uh, thank you for this lesson um i i I just personally want to confess to you that this really impacted me um i just can't tell you the ways that i fail you every day 
and I'm sorry. And uh, I do get caught up in this world, and I do get caught up in the things of my own life and my own desires, and sometimes I forget uh, what you did for me on that cross. So help us, help us as a people to count the cost and to walk away from the things that are temporary and don't matter, and help us to see and to focus on and adore and love the things that you have placed before us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen.